Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you. We've just lost 90% of our young audience out there. Who's Susan Lucci? I don't know why they're an old lady voice, but anyways. And he'd be like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. All you want. Agree to disagree. Disney fight. <laughs> See, two dudes talking about Disney. Oh. Ugh, so many viewers. We just lost so many. <laughs> Hello, I'm Mike Field. And I'm Mike Butler. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Each episode, we highlight a film that, for a variety of reasons, was forgotten by audiences. Whether it's because a more popular movie was released at the same time, or the movie simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the movie, or perhaps don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. If you enjoy our podcast, please feel free to rate, Review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to us right now. And the end of season four is here. There she goes. There she goes again. I don't know any more words. But I just <laughs> something, 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 something. It's got the guy who stars from Wayne's World. <laughs> yes, we are doing So I Married an Axe Murderer. That's right. And I cannot. And, and you know what's funny is I was listening to an older episode of ours because for some reason, when I'm listening to podcasts on Apple Podcasts, it just goes to our old episodes. Nice. So and we have we have done we have gone back and forth between doing announcing the movie and then doing straight to the synopsis, then straight to the facts. It's just really odd. But uh, how do you want to do this? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess we'll go into, well, I like when you break down the cast and then we go into the synopsis so that people know who we're talking about. Okay, then that's fine. Then let's do that. So you want me to do the whole kit and caboodle and then you'll go right into the synopsis or just the, you want me just to talk about. Who's Let me know it. who the cast is. Okay, so let's do that. You can say then. who directed it, say the cast is, and then we'll go into the rest of the crew. And then you can go into your face. Right, I'm going to, this is what I'm going to do. All right. What are you going to do? This is what I'm going to do. I think this is worse. I think this is worse <laughs> right here. What we're doing now is worse. I think this is why the people come. I think this is why they come <laughs> to listen is to us bicker and not figure out what we're doing because we're, we're stupid. But anyways, we are doing the 1993 movie. So I married an axe murder. I was 18 at the time when this came out. All right. Mike was one. I don't know how old you were. Four, five, five, six, 89, 88. 87. 87. I thought, why don't I think 88? I don't care. Because I so, look so, I look one year younger. Than two. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, we, we were both, we were both were younger, younger than we are right now. So Sorry to Married an Axe Murder released on Friday, July 30th, 1993. It has a runtime of 93 minutes. It's rated PG-13, has a production budget of $20 million. It's opening weekend, it did $3.4 million. Uh-oh, this domestic is at 11.5, <laughs> and that was its worldwide uh, budget, uh, taken as well, because obviously it didn't come out internationally. Should I get like a sound effect that goes... <laughs> well, I think, I mean, there's a reason why it's forgotten. I think we all, we know kind of well why, why that's forgotten. But you know what I'll do is I'm going to, I'll get to the other stuff. Let me just tell you who's in it, and then Mike's going to tell you what it's about, and then we'll come, ba- we'll come back around, and I'll tell you who made it and when it was released and all that, I mean, when what was released against and all that lovely stuff. So if you haven't figured it out by now, I think this is probably a movie that people know. Uh, Mike Myers is in this movie. You will probably know him from, obviously from SNL, Wayne's World, Austin Powers and Shrek, uh, Nancy Travis, 
plays Harriet Michaels, and she is the love interest. Miss Travis has been in Three Men and a Little Lady, Greedy, which I actually like Greedy. We should put on the list because I think that's a movie that nobody talks about with Michael J. Fox and Kurt Douglas. When um, I uh, you should pieces, Phil Hartman never the that. whole thing. You should watch that movie's really funny. I think it's hilarious. She's also in more recently The Last Man Standing TV show with Tim Allen. Anthony LaPaglia plays Tony Giardino. I think I did that right. Uh, he's from Empire Records, the TV show Without a Trace, and he more recently Annabelle Creation. You don't see him a lot lately. Amanda Plummer plays Rose Michaels. She is uh, Harriet's sister from Pulp Fiction. That's Honey Bunny from Pulp Fiction. She's also in Hunger Games, Catching Fire, and I'll always promote Needful Things because I love that movie. And rounding it out is Brenda Fricker as May McKenzie. She won the Oscar, I believe, for Supporting Actress in My Left Foot. Uh, she's also the time to kill and she's the pigeon lady in home alone too for those out there that are younger as mike's nodding his head before we get into all the other stuff mike tell everybody which they can probably figure it out if they haven't seen the movie what so i married an axe murderer is all about Uh, so he marries an axe murderer this movie is about a poet (laughs) from san francisco hello hello (laughs) uh mike myers character Charlie McKenzie uh, is a poet from San Francisco, coffee shop poet. I didn't know that was a real job. Who, I, that's a note I got. Go ahead. <laughs> who basically has bad luck with women. He has commitment issues. He always finds a reason to leave people, uh, which is a joke they use at the beginning. Why he leaves people for stupid reasons, like smelling like soup. <laughs> I, that's a real thing. I I, I thought the some, same some thing. It's like, like that's soup. a bad reason, but it, I, also that's a great I, reason to leave I, Some people smell like soup. Some people smell like bologna. I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> it's disgusting. I don't know why, but they do. <laughs> <laughs> so Charlie finally um went buying haggis for his uh very Scottish parents. And what is haggis, Mike? Uh haggis, I believe, is just the guts of a whole bunch of different. It is like, the meat stuff. stuffed with inside of an intestine of a of a sheep. Yeah. Yeah. I have not had it. It's gross. I, I have not it. had it either. And I'm a vegetarian, so I will never have it, but it's gross. I can make you some beyond haggis. <laughs> <laughs> some impossible haggis. <laughs> oh, that's what it is. It's a it's a beyond intestine <laughs> filled with impossible meat. Gross. <laughs> so I've heard haggis is gross, but I, I would try it. But that's beyond the point. Hey, Mike, heroin's gross, too. You going to try that? Is it gross? Not the first. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Don't do drugs. Uh, so anyway, Charlie meets Harriet, who owns a meat shop. When he buys the haggis, he kind of falls for the fact that she's, you know, all into meats. And, you know, <laughs> she's very pretty. She obviously is capable. He goes to the meat store again to kind of, I guess, get her number seems to be the, the reason he goes. But he goes in there. Ends up working with her on a very busy day and they kind of fool around and joke around and have a great night together. Start to fall for each other. They go on a bunch of dates. But at the same time, Charlie's mother, uh, Brenda Fricker, May, uh, May, Charlie's mother, May, has been obsessed with the story in the Weekly World News about Mrs. X. She calls it the paper. (laughs) The paper. It's the eighth most circulated paper in the world. (laughs) And Mrs. X has gone around the world. You know, from Russian martial arts instructors, New York plumbers, uh, and Italian or uh, lounge singers, LA lounge singers, and kills them after marrying them. Basically, she's a black widow. When Charlie realizes that all of Harriet's ex boyfriends seem to kind of match that description of the murdered peoples, Charlie starts to suspect that Harriet might be the. So-called Mrs. X. He's finding a reason. Yeah, He's finding a reason yeah. to leave her. Uh, as it comes to pass, these reasons have more and more truth to them. And at the same time, Charlie starts to become deeper and deeper into the relationship, obviously ending up marrying her, where he could end up becoming possibly the next 
victim of Mrs. X. Correct. Good job. But it's all a comedy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is directed by Thomas Schlammy. I hope that's how he says his name. I hope it's not how he says his name. I hope we got it wrong. Or maybe Schlam. Schlam. One of the, he's the co-creator of West Wing with Aaron Sorkin. Uh, he's also uh, Believe the Americans. And mm-hmm. his all, this is actually his last feature he's done. He just does TV now, I'm pretty sure. I was very surprised that like he did this comedy because he's done so many dramas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Well, West Wing's a drama, but it's got a lot of comedic moments in that's, it. Yeah, yeah. It's, got, it's got some stuff. Yeah, Written by Robbie Fox. This was written in 1987. There is some... Uh, we'll get into it, but uh, there is a caveat to, or an asterisk when I say written by Robbie Fox. Drama! Exactly. Uh, he had previous... Well, I don't know previously written. He written Playing for Keeps in the Army Now, the story for in the Army Now, the Pauly Shore movie. Uh, which I unfortunately have seen. And more recently, The Man from Toronto, which I believe is either in production or it's in development or it's coming out or whatever. Music by Bruce Broughton or Bro- Broughton, uh, which they didn't use a lot of his stuff. They kind of went towards the rock music, uh, whatever the music of the time. But he has also done the music for the TV show, The Orville, Lost in Space, Krippendorf's Tribe. Everyone remember that? He actually was nominated for an Oscar for his work in Silverado as well. Cinematographer is Julio uh, or Masat. M-A-C-A-T. He has done the cinematography for Home Alone, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, and Winning Crashes, amongst many, many other films. Produced by Robert Freed, or Fried, I'm sorry if I said that wrong, and Carrie Woods. Mr. Freed, or Fried, has done Boondock Saints, the 1998 Godzilla movie, and Rudy. Woods is responsible for Scream, Swingers, Copland, Citizen Ruth Kids. Woods has the notion or the is the acclaim for working with people like discovering people like you know scream is the rebirth of west craven swingers was doug lyman that was his first big film copland is james mangold Sid and Susan ruth is alexander payne and kids was um harmony corman corman so he actually you know is kind of can see talent where others maybe cannot so that that was his claim to fame and then and as we did started last week or the week before i started listing the editors we have colleen halsey and richard halsey or the editors the husband and wife team um, Colleen uh, has done Sister Act, D3, The Mighty Ducks, and Edward Scissorhands. Mr. Halsey Richard has done has won an Oscar for Rocky for editing for Rocky. Uh, Dreamscape, which I think we should put on the list here. Dragnet, and I always like uh, referencing Sorority Boys so and Sorority Boys. <laughs> so this movie came out, like I said, July 30th, 1993. That same day, uh, you had Rising Sun, which is one of my favorite Crichton books with Wesley Snipes and Sean Connery. Uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights. And Tom and Jerry, the movie. I've seen like all of those. Nice. <laughs> the week before you well, had. Fun fact about Tom oh, and go, Jerry. Go for it. That is the last movie I saw at the Old Orange Theater. Ah, very nice. The first Old Orange. The first Theater. Old Orange. Movie. So for those who do not, I'm not aware we're from Connecticut. Uh, we had two theaters. Uh, there was one theater in Orange, which was, it was called, the, it was one to seven. I think it was smaller beforehand, but then they moved across the street and across the highway. And that, that was the, always called the new Orange or the new showcase. It was a National Amusement Theater. But yes, the last the last movie I saw in that theater was the uh, sneak for not the sneak the screening for the shadow. Nice, I know it was yeah, that's right. Which we did here for we uh, did do an first season. That. Was that a first season that episode? Is, no, that is season two, season episode two? one. Four. I thought it was in the beginning. We're going towards the beginning. Yeah, we act if if you like the shadow, we did too. So we talk about it in our previous seasons. Yes. Um, but yeah, so anyways, the week before this movie came out, so the twenty third of July, you had Coneheads. Another SNL film, Poetic Justice, and another Stakeout, which is the sequel to Stakeout. I didn't know Stakeout had a sequel. Yeah, another Stakeout has uh, Dreyfus and Estevez, and it has Rosie O'Donnell. 
It's not that it's not as good as Stakeout, but it's all right. I was gonna say I like Stakeout, but I didn't see Stakeout being a franchise. Well, <laughs> you know, well they that, that's like they kind of I don't know when Forty Eight Hours came out, but that's like another Forty Eight Hours, like when they did that with Nick Nolte and I Eddie like D. another Forty Eight Hours. I'm just saying that's probably the kind of why they you know Stakeout might be a good one for Forgotten Cinema. True. So and then I wanted I wanted to go to the sixteenth just because I wanted to try to find movies that were very popular in the summer because this is a big summer season. You had Free Willy and Hocus Pocus that came out on the 16th, which I'm surprised Hocus Pocus came out on July because it's always obviously a Halloween movie. I don't think I think when Hocus Pocus first came out, they didn't really have a lot of hopes for it. And it didn't do great at mm-hmm. first. It, it became like a cult family kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. But yeah, I, I'm not a huge Hocus Pocus guy, which I know my fiance Elise hates. Because she loves Hocus Pocus. It's funny. It's got some funny stuff. It's, it's okay. I, I've warmed up to it over come the up, years. Come up, come up, come up, come up. <laughs> All right, anyways. Uh, the week after uh, the 30th, you had The Fugitive. I don't know if you've seen that movie, but it's awesome. I disgust that. I hate that. I'm just kidding. I was going to say, this, this podcast episode is about to end. <laughs> That's one of like the most quotable Harrison Ford movies. Yeah. I didn't kill my wife. I don't care. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, don't tell anyone I did. <laughs> There was a man in my house. It was a one-armed man. You'll find this man. You can't quote his finger. Where you can't see his field wagging. I'm pointing. Finger, I'm Ford doing style. the Ford finger. I love it. That's the best of what he does in the Patriot games when he's trying to tell him that, oh, I would care for your daughter. And he's like, does that finger in his face? You're just like, yeah. <laughs> Look at forgotten Ford. What are we talking about? Uh, so, yeah. So, the future came out on August 6th. Uh, you had my boyfriend's back, which I honestly I have no idea, and the Meteor Man, which unfortunately I have seen. I do not tell me you like the Meteor Man. You see, when did Meteor Man? When this came out around? When now? did Meteor so, Man came out? I don't so, know, Mike. Nineteen ninety three. Nineteen ninety three. So I'm. What did we decide? Seven, eight. Listen, I love this movie. I like. Now you got older. <laughs> no, I'm six. I'm six. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah, I liked Meteor Man a lot. Yeah, a lot. Watch it again. No. Because like six-year-old me to love underst- Meteor You Man. need to understand that these movies that you liked when you're younger suck now. They suck. I don't want to destroy Meteor Man. <laughs> destroy it. Meteor Man. Oh, oh come man. on. Stop. Stop. You cannot follow up the awesomeness of the lines from The Fugitive with Meteor Man lines. <laughs> Knock it off. You're <laughs> ruining everything. Lines. I just remember that. <laughs> All right. So that's that's pretty much it. I'm done. I mean, I could. I still want to do Fugitive quotes. I'm trying to think of them in my head, but I won't. I'll stop. Uh, I guess... I was when we were going to do this movie, I remember I, I like this movie, but I wondered if I would still like it knowing. Yeah. Seeing movies. I used to, cause I have not seen this movie in over two decades. Probably I saw it a couple of times after it pops on. You don't really see it on HBO or stars or anything like that. Yeah. I haven't seen it since I was like 12. It used to play on TV all the time. It used right. to be like the WPIX mm-hmm. for people that live in the New York area. Like they're sat that Saturday night movie mm-hmm. that used to be on all the time. Yeah. So I was wondering if I would, you know, be into it as much. And I liked it. It's still got funny stuff, but you can tell that it's got it's again, it's a comedy. So I'm not not really the storytelling is not really at the forefront. It's more about what's funny, what you know, what works. So it's it's really not a terribly, terribly well written story story wise, not what's on the screen in terms of the humor and the comedy and stuff like that. What jumped out of you? Because I, I can go so many different places. All right. So I think this is going to work well because I have the opposite opinion. of Ooh. You. Well, I, I agree that the story is not there, but I think in terms of what we felt about the movie, because I, when I watched it when I was 12, remembered not liking this movie Okay. at all. I didn't find it funny. I found him obnoxious. 
and I just didn't care for it. Mm -hmm. What was nice is because I watched it so long ago, I didn't remember if she was the axe murderer or not. Oh, really? So I was like, oh. all right, I like that. I mean, as soon as you saw Amanda Plummer, you had to realize that she's the axe murderer because she's not playing anybody that's just the I, normal I had person. that note yeah. later on. I'm like, <laughs> at first, I was just like, well, Rose is weird. And then I was like, wait, oh, I know how this is going to be. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, what was weird was the beginning of the movie for like the first I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. I didn't laugh at any of the jokes. I was just like, this kind of, yeah, no, this is what I remember. This kind of sucks. But then I started <laughs> laughing at pretty much every joke after that. And I was like, all right, I, I think I've warmed up to this movie. Okay. Interesting. Um, what I noticed in the beginning of the movie was two things. One, the 90s font titler that was clear oh they were God. using. Shaking at the beginning. Well, you're talking about the shot? No, the the, uh, the the helicopter shot. When it's when the screen is black and the, the titles come just on the black screen, they're shaking. Yeah. And I well, was like, hmm. I was I was interested about the opening shot because it clearly obviously they started off with they were trying to do this like zoom in kind of helicopter shot into like this like story of what's happening. Yeah. You know, so that's fine. But then I, when they get to the Poets Corner, well, no, it's called Rhodes. I'm sorry. When they get to Rhodes, you know, Jack Kerouac Drive or Avenue or whatever. Yeah. In San Francisco. This movie takes place in San Francisco and it's shot in San Francisco. Clearly, the crane comes down and it's a, hand, a guy's on the crane. It's handheld. He steps off and he walks into the, into the uh, shop. And then, then all of a sudden, I mean, they do have cuts. It's not one shot. They do kind of like mask cuts. And then they, yeah. you have the coffee on the, on the um, platter and it's walk and you, you meet Mike Myers and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. It's a nice shot, but my question is wh why? Why? Like I wanted, I wanted to know the motivation behind that shot because it was just like it was almost like oh this would be a really cool shot, but it's like but it's a shot like that you're introducing, kind of like you're trying to introduce the world, you're trying to introduce the story, the 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 world that you're creating around your story, and really you're just going through this shop and going to my he's getting a coffee and then so he can make his joke, which is you know. You know, I ordered the large cappuccino or whatever it was. Yeah. yeah. Like, so that, <laughs> Hello. Oh, he did that a couple of times. Yes. Excuse me, miss. There seems to be a mistake. I believe I ordered the large cappuccino. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> he did. <laughs> but so I, I just was questioning the reasoning behind the shot. But it's a great shot. I, I, I do like that you follow a coffee from being drank by somebody else. And to poured being washed, washed. Yeah. To being drank by somebody else. Yeah. Like I, if. More of those characters in that coffee shop are used throughout the rest of the film. That would make sense. Right. That would be a nice introduction. That's something like that's a shot that you do when you introduce like a play mm -hmm. like or a movie that could be a play or was a play mm -hmm. because you get all your players right at the beginning. But films don't usually work like that. But neither does. So I married an axe murder. Some of the characters you don't meet for quite some time. Right. So, yeah, it doesn't really make sense when Mike Myers and his buddy are the only ones that you meet right off the bat. So real quick, let me, I guess, go through this, the screenplay stuff, the script stuff. Uh, so Fox wrote this, Robbie Fox wrote this script in 1987 mm -hmm. and it was supposed to be for Chevy Chase. And it was, and it was more about paranoia than it was commitment. Because in this movie, you know, McKinsey's more concerned with the commitment of having a commitment in a relationship, not he right. was paranoid about something. And then, so Myers comes on and Myers wants to change the script. And he wants to, he wants to add, I have the note here. He wants it to be more dramatic. And I'm like, what drama, drama, where, uh, uh, what part of the, where regardless. So Myers and his, um, I guess his writing partner, Neil Malarkey. I hope that's his real name. Who's written Austin Powers, Spice World. He's obviously done a lot. He works with Myers. Yeah. They rewrote the entire script and Fox was asked by the producers to have a new, consider a new set of credits where he would get story by, and co-screenplay. And now obviously they would give Malarkey the other, you know, the screenplay credit. Yeah. He refused. 
went into arbitration and the WGA basically said, no, he's Fox is getting the sole credit. That's it. And that kind of upset Myers. And I understand that. Yeah. Um, I understand. I actually understand both sides. You know, you wrote a script, you come in and just change everything. And now you want to rip his credit away, which is probably a big credit for him. Yeah. I get both. And I get But also you did all this work. So I understand both sides of that. But right off the bat, now you have a script that was completely rewritten and changed. So now you don't have, I mean, sometimes that works, but more often than not, it kind of is, is to the detriment of what's on screen, which I think maybe kind of contributed to what I was saying when in terms of stuff didn't really seem solid. It was more about what's funny. I mean, they, they had, there's two separate sets of montages in this movie. Uh, there's a montage when he goes into the butcher shop and he just yep. kind of casually tosses out there. Oh, yeah. Uh, my father was a butcher so that he can be there. So let me help you out. So he can have that whole scene when he's back there playing around, which honestly, he did no work. He was just goofing off the entire time. Yep. And then the second montage, which was the relationship montage to get to the point where he could be in love with her. They could, you know, because they just meet They kind of skip over. You kind of you kind of need to, though. No, I get that. But that's like montages are in there to kind of hurry up. Yeah, storytelling. Story along. Right? Yeah, exactly. And but it's a comedy. So you want to do that. You want to get to the comedy, which I get. I, I you know, even though I'm making a claim, uh, that it seems like I'm against it. It's I understand why you put it in there. Mm-hmm. That's, that's all I'm saying. Okay. And I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of comedy that doesn't work for me. Like I said, the first 15 minutes of comedy, like I just didn't like. So you didn't like like his whole just kind of like him talking to a LaPaglia's character, Tony, about how he's dressed like Huggy Bear, which he says the joke, joke twice, which doesn't work yeah i don't like that although i do like everything else with his character sure. I, I like tony's character a lot i really like his precinct is great the stuff with him and arkin is really funny and it's like a different movie almost i was i that's one of my notes is i would love to see that as just a film that that as a concept to right the film. and there's a lot of cameos in this movie uh there are yeah. charles groden phil hartman debbie mazar mazer excuse me debbie mazer uh, Stephen Wright, Michael Richards, and then Alan Arkins. He's uncredited. He's considered a cameo. And that's great. You got a lot of night. Phil Hartman's funny. And Charles Grodin. Charles Grodin. I said Charles Grodin. Oh, that's the first one Charles? I said. Yeah, okay. yeah. They're all funny. But I, I love when I'm reading the notes and you do the research online, you type in some stuff. Yeah. Every single one I go is like, all these people wanted to work with Mike Myers. With yeah. Mike Myers. It's like, um, number one, Phil Hartman already worked with Mike Myers. So that's that's a lie. Well, he was probably his buddy. He's just and, like, yeah, sure. Yeah. And number two, Grodin and Wright and Arkin. Don't have scenes with Myers. So you tell they're not even in the same scene with them. So really? Oh, you really want a chance to work with them? Well, you're not going to. You're going to work with LaPaglia. Oh, whatever. Yeah. Give me a break. And who's your scene? Where's Mike? Yeah. Oh, he's coming. Give me a break. It's the revisionist history. But Michael, basically, Michael Richards is doing Kramer almost. Oh, absolutely. That, <laughs> Which that I'm okay with. <laughs> I'm a bad guy. All right. Oh, everyone's your job. Everyone's just got to stop and look at me. That's what you do. <laughs> You win, okay? I'm a bad person. Hey, oh, yes, I'm a bad person. No, he's saying I'm insensitive. Just he's saying I'm a shit. He's not saying I'm you're a shit. Did they mention the wife? Did they, did they mention the wife? No, no, they didn't mention the wife. You happy? Yeah. Oh, yes, yes, I'm insensitive. I'm a very insensitive man. Stop your job. Look at the insensitive man. That's what they're paying you for. I, just, I love Phil Hartman, and, and I know we were just talking about it, but I, I love Phil Hartman. And even, even in bad movies, Phil Hartman is awesome. Nancy's the best. <laughs> <laughs> so Machine Gun Kelly had what you, what you had. <laughs> a bitch. What did you call a bitch? <laughs> in this particular cell block, Machine Gun Kelly had what we call in the prison system a bitch. 
And one night, in a jealous rage, Kelly took a makeshift knife for Shiv and cut out the bitch's eyes. And as if this wasn't enough retribution for Kelly, the next day, he and four other inmates took turns pissing into the bitch's ocular cavities. Uh, Phil Hartman, uh, when, he, when he was murdered, uh, if, for those who don't know, Phil Hartman was murdered by his wife. Uh, and she, then she killed herself, unfortunately. It's obviously terrible. Um, but when that happened, I was so down that day. And I, I thought I was actually in New York City at the NYFA New York Film Academy with a buddy of mine. We were that we were doing that for the summer. And I found out like while we were there, I was just like, oh, man, this sucks. It was so depressing. Phil Hartman was is awesome. And, and if you don't watch, if you haven't seen News Radio, you should. He's fantastic in that. He's fantastic in Saturday Night Live. I'll get off my Phil Hartman soap, soapbox, but he's really good. <laughs> but we'll, we'll get back to the movie. Sorry. It, it, it almost seems like the beginning of the movie, the comedy is different from the the rest of the movie. Like, they didn't know how to start their film, and then it kind of takes off, I well, felt. At some point, you have to wrap up the movie. You can have all your jokes. Well, I mean, even you have the to wrap first, up the storyline. Even just the regular, like, the first 15 minutes, like, that comedy sucked. Like, nothing was well, funny. What, well, because uh, I'm trying to remember what was in the first 15 minutes, and you like had the, him at the, the coffee, coffee shop, shop with him being a beat poet, which, granted, he that's not a job. It's You're not. not getting paid for that. It's so an open mic. Night. What do you do? He has no job. He has... San Francisco is one of the most expensive places to live. I, I don't understand. I don't understand. He, he, I was sitting there going, what's his job? What does he do? Coffee shop poet. That's not a job. Coffee shop poet. It's in the synopsis. I'm calling horse shit on that. That's not a job. <laughs> this is my job. <laughs> my poems are the same. I have no cadence. And he doesn't any. He doesn't sound. He doesn't look the part of a beat poet. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah, and he's he's putting on a voice. It's almost like right. he's making fun of beat poets. It, it, yes, exactly. Which is a spoof movie, like a spoof movie kind of voice. He looks like just some basic white dude. Yeah, basic. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, like that's what he he doesn't look like. He lives in that lifestyle. No, I absolutely agree. Yeah, and 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 I, I'm not saying that he needs, he you need to have him in like his hairstyle needs to change like. His clothes, he just looks like he's somebody who just got off work nine to five. He, he, like, it just doesn't fit. Yeah. And his personality doesn't jive with being this cool beat poet. No, not at, at all. all. No, he's like, he would fit better being a stand-up comic. I know that's what he is from. But if so, comics usually, well, from what I know, are usually... Neurotic and yeah, like that would work better. With I would this. have enjoyed that. Yeah, because then his jokiness also you play up. Yeah, like you're like his jokiness self would de- work. self deprecating and stuff like that. Absolutely, that that would work a lot better. Did you know that Sharon Stone was gonna play Harriet? I did because I also looked up some facts from this. Nice. Yeah. Well, then hit me with them. Let's go here, man. Uh, Sharon Stone was uh, cast. She turned it down. Well, she turned it down because she, wanted, she didn't yeah. want to. She wanted to rewrite the script a little bit. She, she wanted to be both roles. She, she wanted, wanted to, be to play sisters. the sister, which is why. Because why? Because Myers is doing the father, That's so you right. had to do power so she play. She wanted to do it. Yep. Uh, <laughs> you want to know a fact? How about that? Nancy Travis cut off the tip of her finger. I saw that because I was watching the movie, and there was a scene. I know they they reference the scene at the end of the movie when she takes the uh, rings out of the powder, and you see her fingers got the. Band-aid on it, but there was a scene when they were in bed together earlier, 20, 30 minutes earlier in the movie, and she she had she was touching his face. I'm like, why does she have a band-aid on? Why would you keep that in the scene? It was like upsetting me. <laughs> and then I read that, you know, he was go ahead, what how she cut off her finger. So they're at the butcher shop, which she went to a butcher to learn how to butcher, and the yeah. butcher told her to make sure she was always paying attention when she's cutting anything. She's cutting vegetables in the scene, gets distracted by Mike Myers joking around. Correct. Cut off the tip of her finger. Yeah. Goofball. And then she, I guess she's yelling, cut, cut, cut. So they're just thinking, oh, cut, like, yeah. you know, cut the scene, stop filming. 
not realizing she means I cut my finger. <laughs> <laughs> That's too bad. Well, she survived it. That sucks. I've had the tip of my finger cut off. It sucks. Well, you were not paying it. Were you at a butcher scene and Mike Myers uh, came in and distracted you? Uh, <laughs> no, I was letting my dog in the storm door and the storm door cut nice. it off. Quality, quality. Right. Disgusting. It was disgusting. I have like, there's a whole bunch of uh, actors who were almost got the part that Mike Myers ended up getting. Please, they're all like that. Well, if this was written in 87, this probably this, this script is probably floating around for six years, so it was probably on everybody's desk. Well, I know Martin Short got offered it, uh, but he didn't like the character. And uh, like you said, it was written by Chevy Chase. The one person I was surprised about that they wanted for the role was Albert Brooks, hmm. who would have been... He's older. He was older than Myers. Older, yeah, yeah than, than Myers. So that's why I was like, I like Albert Brooks, well, but the, it would have been a different kind of movie. The I think. original and I think Woody Allen also was um, offered the role. Right, because the original screenplay, when I said it was more about paranoia than commitment, it was also the character was uh, a Jewish man. So yes. that was where the paranoia was coming from. That was kind of what, what the original writer wrote it as. So that's probably why they were approaching okay, Brooks yeah. and Allen. Um, so I'm sure Myers saw it, probably saw something good in it and needed a vehicle because this is... I don't know when he left SNL, but this was probably right around the time and when he was kind of moving on. Because when was, when was Shrek? 2000? No, Shrek was 99, I'm okay. pretty sure. So then when was Austin Powers before or after Shrek? Uh, it would have been before because okay. 99 was Phantom Menace. 99 was the same year as By Who Loved Me. All right, so he, it was By Who Shagged Me, rather. He, so he was, you know, probably just leaving SNL. I should have looked when he left. But this is probably, you know, so he's probably looking for a vehicle. He's to, probably one or two years yeah, away. Yeah. Absolutely. So. You know, just Phil Harmon had to work with him. <laughs> I hate that note. You're really, you're really big because on it this. bugs me because that's revisionist history where somebody writes that down there. Oh, they just wanted a chance to work with him. It's like who wrote that? His publicist? These people they weren't even in the same scene with him. Sorry, I'm back to an old thing. I'm All right, you ready for a fact? Ready for me to connect to old episodes? Uh, I know what you're gonna do, but go ahead. All it's right, the car, right? The car. <laughs> uh, it's it's a couple of things, not just the car, Ooh, but yes. Right. So the car that uh. Mike Myers' character, Charlie Drives, is the same exact car as Robert Redford's car in Sneakers, which we just did two episodes ago. Well, they should were shooting at the same time they, almost. Yeah. yeah, shooting in San Francisco almost at the same time. So they used the same car. Sneakers! Sneakers. Go yeah. back and check out that episode. Also, all right, you ready for this? Go. The Poet's Corner or whatever it is, the big fancy estate that they go to at the end for their honeymoon, yep. is the Dunsmuir estate, which was from uh, the movie Burnt Offerings, which we also did during our Halloween episode in... Season two. What other movies? Uh, the Notes of Mary House is also used in. Hold on. I've got. Dun, 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 you do a kill. Dun, there you go. Dun, 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 dun. And I was the movie Phantasm. Yeah. yeah. Good job, Butler. Yeah. Good job. That's right. I got facts this time. Nice job. Why am I here? Why am I here? I, what am I here to do that? You're here to complain about how uh, people wanted to work with Mike Myers. I just, that's revisionist history. That's all <laughs> I'm saying. I'll continue to do fugitive lines. How about that? Uh, well, let's go. <laughs> what are your What are some of your favorite lines from this film? Oh well, everyone. I mean, come on. If you don't like any of the lines that he's when he's playing his own father, because Myers plays Stuart McKenzie, his dad, which is loosely based on a Saturday Night Live character as well. Well, it's, well, it's based it's on his, his father. dad in real life. Yeah, but yeah exactly. he also did the character on Saturday Night Live. But so. It, all his lines are funny. You know, we have a piper down. Like when, oh, when it, yeah. He passes out. Take it away, bagpipe solo. <laughs> and when he's yelling at uh, when he's yelling at his other son, Heed, you know, and oh, he, get or, your big head out of the way. <laughs> his oh. Colonel Sander line is pretty great too. <laughs> <laughs> when, I love the fact that Lapagi is just laughing throughout he clearly the entire because together. It, that's 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 my favorite. I think Lapagi and Arkin are 
overlooked in this movie. Like they had, they're just, their stuff is funny. And oh, yeah. it's like, so I really wish there was more attention paid to that. It's a Myers movie. So you're going to, you know, right. all the lines are fine. Yeah. So Lepaglia, for those who haven't watched the movie, uh, which you showed it before you listen to our Seriously. podcast. Uh, plays a cop who's really, uh, an undercover cop who's really sad about his job because all he does is paperwork all day. He never gets to chase down anybody or commandeer a vehicle or hold on to that bottom part of the helicopter. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and Ar- and he's also complains that his boss is too nice. Mm-hmm. Arkin is is his uh, chief, I guess, and he's just really nice to he's him, in, really yeah. understanding. He just wants to talk. Hey, about what's it, going on, out. man? What's How you been? Yeah. What's wrong, man? So at the, toward the end of the movie, Arkin and him are, are play acting yeah. their job, but as these like hardened cop and hardened. Yeah, he wants to be chief. a t- he wants to be one of the cops he sees on TV like <laughs> Serpico. So one of my favorite lines is at the end when he goes, "Get your get your paisan ass out there, or you don't have a job. Not now." And he doesn't <laughs> want to play the play act anymore. <laughs> was it too much with the ethnic slurs? No, it was fine. But it's paisan, not paisan. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta go. You screw this one up, pal, and you'll be writing parking tickets for the rest of your life. You got that? Captain, I won't let you down. Good for you. That was so much better. Yeah, you like really it. Really terrific. It was fantastic. No, it was funny. Or when he's trying to get Charles Grodin to commandeer your vehicle. No. You're not going to budge on this commandeer thing, are you? No, I know for a fact that you have no right to commandeer my vehicle. <laughs> and when they're in the plane, the plane, the, the whoever the pilot is, like that's... Stephen Wright. Yeah. I meant like the character. I didn't oh, right, read right, the right. character's name, but the oh, the pilot stuff is really great. When are we gonna get there? Shouldn't take long. Actually, I have no concept of time. <laughs> <laughs> I had this nightmare. I was just born. I was eight and a half months premature. <laughs> Doctors were freaking out. <laughs> um, when he gets to the hotel and he he has Harriet and Tony's interrogating. When all you hear is the axe on the roof, he's like. And we're going to be here all night. Just <laughs> we like, could do this down ah! here. We could do it at the station. <laughs> I didn't like if we're going to let me go right to the end. There's one thing I didn't like at the end is when Myers breaks the fourth wall. And oh, after he kicks they're kicking the, each other in the groin area yeah. and, and he looks at the camera. That bothers me because you haven't done that all movie. Again, I, I know this is probably a theme. You haven't done that all movie. You're doing it now. That's like that tells me that, you know, it'd be funny if I look to the camera in this. Yeah, that'd be fu- like. There's a quote. I have a quote, but I have a note here that there has long been rumors that Myers was very difficult to work with on the set of this movie. Um, Whether that's true or not, I don't know. And honestly, who cares at this point? It was 30 years ago, 40 years, 30 years ago. Yeah. Over 30 years ago Mm -hmm. uh, that he would lock himself in his trailer, wouldn't come out, blah, blah, blah. I I understand. I can understand if that's the case, even if there's some sort of that, because it's uh, the movie industry is very there's probably you want to have to be able to control everything. Sometimes you can't. And so, you know, if you're doing a movie and you, you feel like you're out of control, you worry that it's going to be bad. You worry that your career is going to be in shambles. You're just starting. Out. I get all that. I get all that kind of nervousness. About well, it. I had read from, um, Thomas. I don't want to say his last name. Shlami. Shlami. If that is how you say Shlame. it. I just don't want to say it wrong. Shlam. Um, it might be Shlam, but, but, but nothing. You know, what's funny though. Nothing. Any kind of, any way we may say it, it doesn't sound good. Oh, I'm sorry, Thomas. I think your name is beautiful. Thomas probably got a lot of money. He okay. don't care. Uh, <laughs> so when he was quoted uh, as saying that, yes, he did have difficulty working with sure. Myers because it was there were some dramatic things that mm-hmm. Mike Myers had to do. It was his first big dramatic mm-hmm. role, not all jokey. 
But he said that even though they had disagreements on set and stuff, it was never as bad as right. what people. But had he said. said it was a struggle. He said it was, it was tough, yeah. but it wasn't like lock himself. No, in of course not. Time. I agree. And I, I, you're I, not going to get a job at that. Could. Mike Myers is just starting out. It's his second movie. Yeah. You're not at the point where you can lock yourself in a trailer no. all day. No, that's stupid. But any anything that any kind of story you hear about that is usually it's not as bad as they always say it is, and it's not as great as it always says. It's always in the middle. Yeah. If you finish the day and you and and you get a movie out there, you you, you completed what you need to do. Yeah. And that's fine. And it's not my place to say whether, you know, oh, so you shouldn't be acting like that. Ah, whatever. I don't know the case. I don't know the facts. I'm just writing down what I read. And, right. You know, all I can tell you is what I saw on screen. And the one thing that I noticed when I was watching on screen was whether it's because of the rewrites, whether it's whatever it is, however they kind of word it, however they kind of shot it, some stuff felt out of order. And I'm going to take you back a little. Ooh. He goes on a date with Harriet. Yes. And he's wearing that the green shirt or he has the green shirt when he meets her at the butcher shop. Right. And then they go out for like a day and he's got the jacket on. So he wears he's got, the green shirt a couple he wear, times. He yeah. does. Well, he does. And I don't think it's because he's wearing the green shirt a couple of times. I think it's because they shot it in a certain order. Then he wears this cause he see, he wears the same clothes for the first date. But then you have now remember that then you have the scene where Tony and his boss, Alan Arkin's character, he, when he, they sit down in that room, he's like, what's wrong? What's and, he, and Tony's wearing the vest. Oh yeah. Okay. And the yellow shirt. Okay. So then he leaves and then that, that scene's done. 30 minutes later, after Myers reads the article in his mother's bathroom after t- after bringing Harriet to see the parents and he, he starts thinking that she may be Mrs. X, he goes and visits Tony at the police station. But Tony's wearing the same thing. He's in the same room, which tells me that they shot that scene together the and they cut thing, it off. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't understand that. I didn't understand what was out of order. I didn't understand why it was out of order. Why did you move it? That kind of stuff. That happens in movies all the time. I understand that. But if I can see it, that kind of throws me out of it a little bit. And, and I don't, um, then now all I'm thinking is what was the intent? What was, how was this supposed to play out? That could be his undercover outfit. Cause he does, he has that again at the payphone too. He has the exact same outfit when he True. calls him. So that might be a deleted scene where, you know, we see what his, whatever he was undercover doing, which mm-hmm. was probably something really lame. <laughs> it was probably his job to be in those clothes, but they cut it. Okay. That's fine. I mean, that that's but now that he is wearing the same Tony's wearing the same outfit all the time, yeah. except in the diner scene, the double date at night or when he's the other time. Yeah. Or at the end when he's going to uh, save Charlie. Right. Or when Charlie's mother's trying to make out with Tony. <laughs> I guess it's so long. I love when I love when she's grabbing his ass when they're when they're dancing, dancing. and he's trying to get her off. and They just fall into the chair. <laughs> Uh, the, the, the parents are really great. They're funny. Yeah. Well, even though it's Myers, but he's, he's, he's it's funny. I like when Stuart's, um, when it's the anniversary party and everybody is saying happy anniversary happened. He's just like, shut it. <laughs> <laughs> and then he makes his announcement. <laughs> I thought that was great. Did you enjoy Amanda Plummer's, uh, what do you say? The silver dollar pancakes, fresh brewed coffee. Sorry. I didn't have any of that stuff. He's like, no, this is great. <laughs> it's, it's, High in fiber, I hear. <laughs> I'm I'm partial to uh, Apple Jacks myself. I have those. <laughs> Great. If there's any more '90s of a scene when he's watching a current affair using the thigh master. Oh my god! More- <laughs> They're just trying to get all the '90s stuff in one shot, and then it like pulls out. I was I could like the, all the music in it was like it was really good '90s music, but it was so '90s. Yeah, I made mention that they had a composer. They had a somebody who's doing the music, but they kind of scrapped it a lot of it for popular music of the time. Yeah. You know, but, but you, when you hear that, I sang the song in the beginning, when you hear that song, you think of Sorman and Axmer, that's where you kind of, you know, 
the Boo Radley song. I don't, but now I do. You don't? I didn't remember. I didn't remember a lot of the movie because I didn't like the movie. So it wasn't really in my head. Like, I didn't even remember she's not actually the axe murderer. The things I remember the most about the movie were I remember the closet scene where he gets, he goes in the closet closet to hide from the health drink and all that crap falls on him. And then I remembered the the rooftop scene, but not who was trying to kill him. Okay. You remember the the axe? I remember the axe very well. Okay. All right. Because that was used in all the advertisements as well. Mm hmm. Uh, and I think I remember some of the, I remember that he's in a coffee shop. I didn't remember that's his job. It was not his job. That's not a job. It's his job, man. It's not a if real they're job. They're trying to pass that it's as a his job. job. That's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So then we haven't asked it, but I think we know why. Why do you think this was forgotten? Uh, I think Mike Myers has put out a lot of stuff that has just overshadowed it. I think he's better at comedy. Then he is maybe at some drama stuff. And I think this is oh, a dark. Uh, you don't need to say that. That's a that's that's no. a given. Yeah. So give me a dramatic role he's been in. Inglorious Bastards is the only thing that comes to mind. Yeah, but he's doing a, he's not. He's doing a character, but he's serious in that. His Studio 54. Yeah, I like him in Studio 54, but he's he's again, he's again, he's uh, very agreed. over the top. In that. Even in the Bohemian Rhapsody episode um, episode, Jesus, even in Bohemian Rhapsody. He's just playing a character. You know what I mean? It's not. Yeah. Uh, you're not. I mean, like somebody like Will Ferrell, who did a couple dramatic movies. I mean, whether they're hit or misses, those he's done movies that were more dramatic where he wasn't trying to play a character. Right. At least try, like, right. But yeah. And, and listen, that's not a knock. That's no, that's Myers really Wheelhouse. good at playing. Those Absolutely. Absolutely. Not a knock at all. Do it. I'm just I just don't really. He doesn't. He's not a dramatic actor. No. That's fine. I mean, I like his character, Charlie. Charlie has some good parts. I like Charlie's sense of humor. Yeah. He does, after the first 20 minutes or so, he does have a lot of good lines. I like when he's doing the poem to win back Harriet, and at the end he just goes, this poem sucks. Yeah. Because, you know, it did. <laughs> so did all his poems. But, uh... Well, then, therefore, how's he getting paid for shitty poems? That's what you, if you don't like them. His coffee Who's poems. paying him? They're so good. They're ironic. That's what I figured. <laughs> um... <clears throat> Oh, Betty and the Pussycats makes me horny. I mean, that was that's a terrible line. <laughs> <laughs> Saturday mornings making me horny. Anyway, um, Saturday morning. Saturday morning. Yeah. That's right. Tomorrow. Oh god. <laughs> but I, the dramatic stuff doesn't really fit. The comedy is kind of all over the place. And when you think about Mike Myers and his comedy roles, you could think Wayne's World. You think Austin oh, Powers. Wayne's, Wayne's, just over Wayne's World and Wayne's World too are are yeah. fantastic. What, what's what are what are his early '90s roles? Wayne's World. What's oh, yeah. his later stuff? Shrek. Austin Powers. Austin Powers. You're, Shrek. That's yeah. that's it. Yeah. Austin, like so not I'm the, married wait, an axe murder. Not so, the guru. So Love Guru uh, ruined his career, which he even admits nowadays. Like he'll joke about Love Guru all the time. It's, it's so bad. Yeah. But, but listen, you gotta you gotta you gotta swing at it. You gotta swing at some of them. Oh, I, I get you. I hear you. Uh, I would say that I would agree with you. This movie feels like a thrown together vehicle for somebody who is, you know, trying to make a shift to movies like you see all the time with comedians that come up. We've talked about Kevin Hart, and Tiffany Haddish in terms of how they were like hot and they were like in, you know what I mean? They were coming up and they were like, which Kevin Hart's going to do soon because every com- comedic actor starts to do that. He'll, drama. He's going he to go, he's gonna go to a, the one where he's with Walt, Walter White in the wheelchair. When he was, oh, that's true. Yeah, I can't, right. I'm blanking on his name. I, I forgive me, Brian Cranston. Yes, geez, man, I'm old. The one with Brian Cranston when uh, he's in the wheelchair and he has yeah. to take care of him. So okay. he's, he's already gone there. No, and that's fine. That that should be. That's a next. That's a. You should definitely take that step. But oh yeah, to see if you can do it. If you, 
like Kevin Hart has proved he can do acting movies. I would do the same thing. Let me try something new. See, but me and you are both under the same idea where, and I always bring this up with Jake Gyllenhaal when he was in Moonlight Mile with Dustin Hoffman and he asked Hoffman for advice and Hoffman said, go do stage, go do theater. And he, and I feel like with actors, it's different though, because he's kind of done, like it's not stage acting, but he's done stage work. But you need, but I think there, that's a level of performance that you should experience to understand the differences between a film performance and a stage performance, just to understand what goes into each. Right. And, but also you're doing stuff on, you know, this, you're doing stuff on stage performance wise, that you're getting immediate reactions and you're knowing what works, what doesn't work, how you need to perform. You need to work on your character. You know, all this, I know you don't, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. And you probably know more. Uh, I'm just, I think that that enhances you. So maybe instead of jumping to a dramatic role from film, maybe jump to something on the stage. Which I, that's a big jump for people, so I understand when they don't do it. Or, ooh, jump to get a get somebody podcast. who's like <laughs> get someone who's a director like Michael Mann who does character work for like sure. a year ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So he spends a year with you rehearsing every scene, making you go through the the motions, really honing your craft. Sure. A director, a real actor's director. You have to make a commitment if you want to go that route. You can't just say like, yeah, I'll do something dramatic. You're and taking see two we, or three absolutely. years off, and it's like this is the role you're doing. But for a full year, we're going to work sure. on getting you there. And if you're serious about graduating to the next step of your career, you're absolutely going to have to do that. Absolutely. But you're going to have to will, you have to be willing to put off all the projects and go, this is right. it. And you're taking a big gamble, especially someone like Kevin Hart. It's like you're putting money off. You're taking money off your table because you can just easily do. Oh, he, five could, do, or six he could do comedy comedies right oh, now. Absolutely. And he'll, he'll, he's super popular. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know what? I can't knock doing that. If you know that that's easy money, go for it. Sure. Do it. It, you got to want the other stuff, which is fine too. And I never saw, I can't remember the name of that movie too, the Brian Cranston movie. We had it. I can't remember the name of it. I never saw it. I wanted to, but I never saw it. it they, didn't, we didn't have it long. Um, Yeah, I think it came out during like awards. It was like yeah. a whole bunch of stuff came out during that this time. last year, not even this year. Yeah, it was last year. Yeah. I've heard it was good, but that's fine. Yeah. Again, but um, taking it back to Mike Myers, <laughs> he didn't really, he never really took that full commitment. So he went kind of halfway on this one Listen, and it didn't really, he didn't need to, he's yeah. got, a, he's got two huge, two huge IPs in Shrek and Austin Powers. Austin Powers that he doesn't need to do anything anymore. Uh, I did notice he does say evil, like Dr. Evil. Oh, of course. You can, well, you can tell all evils from his, you know, well, then isn't he like, I read, I saw somewhere that the Dr. Evil character was kind of taken from Carvey and they had like a little issue with like Dana oh, Carvey. Yeah, I it was he was doing an interview either on Howard Stern or something like that. And Dana Carvey said he would do that character in the offices of SNL. And Myers took it without really. And it was kind of like a source of contention because he really didn't say like, hey, can I use this? He just kind of used it and it became his own and whatever. That's fine. It's I guess. But Carvey's kind of moved on from that. But I did read that that was kind of large C, excuse me, that was more of Carvey's impersonation that he grabbed. Interesting. And you like that? You like that? Listen. I don't like that, but I like that. I like that fact. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think this movie is also steeped in the 90s. This is one oh, of the sure. most 90s movies I've seen that take place in the 90s. Other sure. Than New Jack. So I think that that kind of hurts it as well. Um, the younger people who don't, who didn't grow up in the 90s aren't going to appreciate the giant jackets. <laughs> it's not a, it's not a strong enough film to last a generation for people to oh, this movie's so good. You should watch it. It's not on all the time. It's not going to have that continuous where you always see it on, like I said, HBO or even like TNT or anything like that. It's right. kind it's of taken like, off the, it was when in the nineties, it was on all the time. Right. And now they kind of took it away, which I kind of understand because it is steeped in the time. But I would say I, I like this. I 
went in when you put it on the list. I was like, this is going to be a fight club because I remember not liking this movie. <laughs> but again, I was younger, so I revisited it like we always recommend doing. Absolutely. And I enjoyed this quite a bit more than I did before. I actually, the first 15 minutes still suck. <laughs> but <laughs> hello. Oh, God. He kind of does tone it down. I almost he wonder does that if that coffee times. shop stuff is the beginning. Was the first stuff they filmed, and then they kind of went off from there. Well, you 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 introduce his he's you introduce he's just so his character. You introduce the fact that he just broke up with somebody. Why he breaks up with people because he has lack of commitment, and then you meet his you meet his best friend. I think that's the opening. I get that, and yeah. I I'm just saying I think they filmed that first as well. Oh, I right, do like right, it. Right, does right. set up his character very well. I just think he is really obnoxious in that first 15 minutes for a movie where it's like he's not supposed to be a character. Mm -hmm. He's supposed to be a person, but he does kind of tone down after that and he becomes kind of likable. Like, so like you mentioned the meat shop montage, which I guess you don't like that much, but uh, I like, well, because no, my, like my, that. my comment is like, he's like, Hey, let me help you out. And I want to be like, you have not helped he her out at yet. all. You've done nothing but walk around contaminating meat by holding it and talking to people. Have you ever seen a montage in any comedy? I'm movie? just saying <laughs> he doesn't do any kind of hell. He does nothing. He, he does absolutely nothing to help anybody. He actually ruins the meat. He throws meat at people. People are getting me. He's like, Dan and like, and then, and then I have to laugh because they're the only two people working. And then at some point they're doing a chicken dance number. The two of them, I'm sitting there going, you're busy. There's a line of 10 people and you have both stopped to do dances with dead chickens. Maybe they're cleaning up at that. I'm just saying it just I, it bothered me. I like the meat hand. Ma, ma, call the school nurse. That's inappropriate. I'm sorry. I thought it was funny. <laughs> uh, but it's completely unhelpful. There is, there is a lot of stuff that I liked about the movie. Everyone calls me Vicky. I like that. Go ahead. I like when they pause, when he interrupts them during the machine gun Kelly thing. <laughs> yeah. And then he goes like, there's more. They each took turns <laughs> pissing into the <laughs> ocular cavities. <laughs> Phil Hartman's awesome. I love Phil Hartman. When, when uh, oh, what's his, God. His, Pat, his, Paglia is knocking on the car thing. Can you stop? Oh, I'm sorry. Does that bother you? <laughs> <laughs> so that bothers you. <laughs> so much ridiculous stuff that I, I really laughed and I didn't think I was going to laugh as much as I did in this movie. So I did enjoy it as much as we're kind of saying why it's forgotten. It's not great, but there's a lot of good in it. Oh, it's fun. It's a fun movie to watch. I feel like this would be a good remake movie. I feel like you could remake this movie, change oh, the comedy up. You'd have to. It would be like one of those. It would be a big remake, like a big time remake. Like a lot of things are reworked, but I, I think it would work. I think it would work as a remake if you had somebody in the main role that was the same kind of ilk as Myers, a comedian, somebody who's up and coming. Make him a stand up comic, though. Change oh, it up no, a little you bit. Would give him a job. <laughs> Please <laughs> give him a job so I know he has some source of income. Yeah. I, I, yeah, that's fine. I don't, I don't. The fact that she owns the whole butcher shop, I don't buy that either. I, that, that can she couldn't just work there. She had to own the whole butcher shop. That makes no sense. You can't have one person. I'm, I'm right now. I'm getting this. I shouldn't really. I shouldn't really criticize a comedy so much as I am. I guess it was a butcher shop too. No, um, it is. Yeah, that they they yeah. filmed it, and now it's a pizza place. I guess as of 2013. Well, that's good. That's nice. Yeah, I like that it was filmed in San Francisco because you can't really fake San Francisco. Mm -hmm. It's just very. Mm -hmm. It's got its own aesthetic that you really can't fake. Not that you can fake New York City, which people try to do, but it's a little easier when it's just tall buildings. Yeah, it's always streets. nice when you're on location and you know the location and you're like, ah, and you can feel that like, yeah, that's it. That's it. That, yeah. that, that works. It's not generic. You know you're in San Francisco. Correct. Right. Absolutely. I agree. Now, I just want to do more lines from The Fugitive. <laughs> <laughs> he switched the samples. Check every outhouse, boathouse. Hen house. Hen house. No, it's check every... Outhouse is the last one, I think. I think, out, yeah. Yeah. Oh, look at this leg irons. <laughs> <laughs> Chair, care to revise your statement? 
Care to change a bullshit story? <laughs> <laughs> he may have got out. Oh, he may have got out. Okay, I'm sorry. I gotta stop. I'm gonna keep doing fugitive. I know you don't like the uh, the fugitive, the sequel. Oh, U.S. Marshals. I don't. US I don't. It's not that I don't like it. I it's think just, that's a good forgotten cinema because I think it's okay. I think you should rewatch. That's. I, I think I'm it's not really good. We put put it on the list. I'm gonna put it on. The it's list. not as good as the fugitive. That's my thing. But but I want the fugitive. Really good. Um. Yeah, I guess. Well, welcome to the Fugitive Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the Fugitivecast. We, ex- we in this podcast, we're just going to break down everything the fugitive. So, three hundred twenty-seven episodes based on the fugitive. <laughs> <laughs> just did a Peter Pan right off the edge of this boom, bang. <laughs> All right, I think we're done with this movie. Can uh, we talk about the fugitive because it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just want to end with one more thing that made me laugh, and it was so dumb. Okay. When he's watching the TV, he's waiting for the uh, the murderer series to come on TV when he's using the thigh master. Right. And they talk about the iguana that's stealing everybody's hearts. <laughs> and the tagline for the title of the article they're going to do in that newsreel is called Iguana Be in Pictures. <laughs> I lost my mind for no reason at all. I thought it was the funniest drunk? thing. I, think, I don't know if it's just so late at night <laughs> because the iguana was sprawled out on its own couch. But it was <laughs> I just laughed so hard. Nice. But it was the worst joke in the movie. Nice. So on that note, uh, we're going to wrap up season four. This is... Uh, hey! hey! We'll be back. Forgotten Cinema will return in season five. But before we tell you what's going on in season five, uh, I guess we did this the beginning of the first episode the first episode of the season, and we're going to do the last one. We're just going to do a quick plugs of what we were up to. Um, I'll go first. Uh, so basically, at this point now, you've... No. Uh, you know what? Hang on. Sorry, because I forgot we talked about what we were talking about. <laughs> um, so I know everyone knows that I, uh, I, I'm i a writer. If you go to michaeldfield.com, you'll, you'll kind of see all the stuff I've done. You'll see some of the videos and um, some of the scripts I've written, some samples of scripts I've written. Uh, I have two books out right now. You can get them at Amazon, either an ebook or paperback. They are part of the Adam Parker mystery series. First book is Adam Parker and the Radioactive Scout. And the second book is Adam Parker and the High School Bully. Adam Parker is a character that is kind of like Encyclopedia Brown all grown up, but didn't like being a boy detective and now just kind of like stumbles through life. Uh, it's more comedy than it is mystery, but it, it does have some mystery elements in there. He's got his ragtag group of people. Um, you'll probably know a lot more about Adam Parker moving forward with us because obviously we are going to be venturing into some... Uh, Fictional narrative. Yeah, fictional narrative podcast. We're going to be doing some stories because uh, we are creators at heart. We love talking about movies. But we also love telling stories. So we're going to be diving into that and among other things. But yeah, so I would just say go to my website, see what I've done, michaeldfield.com. And uh, yeah, I'm writing right now. I'm hopefully going to be finishing up another book. Not a Parker book, but something in that same world. And uh, yeah, that's it. So uh, thanks for listening, guys. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to your plugs, Michael. Just mentioned that your the book that you're writing now is a oh kind of compendium. It's a kind of a companion piece to our fictional narrative, right? So the the anthology series that we're doing is called Welcome to Brookville. I'm actually writing a the book I'm writing is a collection of stories that has the same title, Welcome to Brookville, but they're stories that we haven't done. They're they're sep- they're, they're they're longer. We may eventually adapt kind of some of them adapt them to um the podcast. So uh, one of them's about a dragon that gets a uh, baby dragon that gets trapped in an apartment but complex during a snowstorm. And then another one's about a corn maze that's haunted by a witch. So, and then I'm going, I'm doing a, right now I'm starting to outline a uh, time travel one about these guys that go back in time and mess up their lives and keep messing it up and never fixing it. So, <laughs> but yeah, go ahead, Mike. What do you got going on? Uh, a lot. So I've got 
I'll just do the I'll do the podcast first. So obviously you're listening to Forgotten Cinema. Welcome to Brookville is coming out soon. I highly recommend that when Welcome to Brookville the book comes out, you should buy it. I hey, think thanks, man. I think it's cool that we're kind of broadening that out into different media outlets. Um I've also got uh, Two Player Bros that I do with my buddy Dave Cannon. It's a podcast by two guys who play way too many video games. Join me and Dave as we break down some latest games and how it kind of relates to games of the past. And that's going to be on all podcast platforms, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, wherever you listen to your podcasts, Two Player Bros will be there. I've also got Cracking One Open with Mike and Elise, a podcast I do with my fiance Elise, where we talk about Different brews, wines, different kind of wines. New, right? The wines, wine, wine stuff is. We new kind of branch out into yeah. wines. I think we've we're gonna do like a whiskey as well at some point because there's a new distillery opening sure, up sure, around here. Sure. So we just crack open a new craft craft liquor, basically, and we talk about uh, history of the brewery or winery or distillery, how the thing was made, the different flavor profiles, the style of that drink. We talk about the art that they use because I think that's very important nowadays to try to catch people's attention because there's craft factories all over the place now. And then as we're sipping on that, we do our tasting notes. We kind of go over the latest pop culture news and reviews, what we've been watching, what's coming out, important news that you guys want to hear about, uh, might want to hear about in the world of entertainment. That's also available on all platforms, all, all podcast platforms as part of the Forgotten Entertainment Network. And yeah, that's what I got going on. Nice. So join so a few well probably a month ago maybe more than a month ago we put out a post looking for audience suggestions because our our season five is going to be all audience suggestions so you right. shot us out a bunch of stuff uh, we obviously we had a we had a mind through it by now I think the commercials out to should tell you the whole season that we're doing don't be worried that if we didn't do your episode we still have it written down we're going to try to we we do suggestions throughout the other seasons we're just doing a whole season of just what you just pick. suggestions right correct. so we're going to start off next week with our first week it was going to be the man from uncle yep uh the remake movie that starred henry cavill henry cavill and, and Arnie, 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 hammer. Arnie hammer yep which if you did we did the lone ranger episode you probably remember that yeah just trying to bring it back um so yeah so that's our that that was recommended to us by one of our employees at goodridge uh and uh hopefully we'll have some audio from zach where he'll tell you why he wanted us to do it and hopefully it's you know it's you know a good reason not just you just like the movie so <laughs> <laughs> well i also just like that movie well no but and yeah i got to mike you're supposed to wait until the episode for you tell people oh, if you like shit. it or not. i'll delete this <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, so that's next week the man from uncle uh thanks for listening everyone thanks for listening through our plugs as you can tell we are trying to do a little bit more th- uh stuff so not just forgotten cinema a lot of other things so stay uh you know, look out for us because uh, we're coming. No, that's bad. <laughs> and I will, I will just end this uh, before I say. <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyways, I'm Mike Field. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. Anyway, okay. I can't apologize enough. I apologize. Um. So yeah. So that's it. So we will see you next week. Uh, I'm Mike Field. I'm uh, Mike Butler. And this has been Forgotten Cinema. It was a one-armed man. You find this man. (laughs) He took everything from me.